Jonah chapter 1 this morning. Um, we are wrapping up one series while we're starting another, and um, um, I know it was cool in the uh, musical realm to do crossover albums and stuff like that. Well, this is a crossover sermon uh, between one series and another. Um, we've been in our summer series in the Minor Prophets, and last week we kick-started a fall series called Salt and Light. Well, this uh, really speaks to both. It, it speaks to the heart of God for our community, for how we are to move and act as Christ followers here in Wise County, um, as well as it speaks to uh, the book of Jonah, a prophet in the Old Testament. We've, through the, the minor prophets, we've, we've uh, taken a look at a prophet speaking to uh, his people locally uh, on behalf of God, God's people. Um, we've had a uh, a prophet who wasn't a prophet, who was a farmer speaking to God's people in the northern kingdom when he was in the south. We had a prophet who didn't speak words, but instead by his own actions, by, by this living illustration, acted out God's heart for his people. And today we're going to look at a prophet who spoke the word of the Lord, not to God's people, but to a pagan uh, city. A, a pagan group of people, people who were far from God, but still spoke a prophetic message over them. And many of you are familiar with uh, the, the story of Jonah, but we're going to jump in there. And, and my prayer is that uh, you'll see it in a different light and it'll truly speak to your heart again this morning. Well, verse 1, chapter 1, follow along. It says, The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board hoping to escape the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. Now, there's a map that's up here. Many of you might not just geographically get this picture, but this in, uh, you know, they say a picture is worth a thousand words, and this shows what happened and what was going on. Uh, Jonah was in uh, Israel, in uh, that vicinity of Jerusalem, and it says he went down to Joppa, the port city, and instead of going 550 miles up to Nineveh, went toward Tarshish. Now, when I was a kid, I got thinking, okay, Nineveh and Tarshish, it's like going, you know, did we go to Rome or did we go to Sunset? Um, you know, one way or the other one. No, like 2,500 miles uh, thinking, okay, I'm going to somehow get away from God here. And it wasn't just the fact that one was on the end, you know, utter ends of the earth back then, the known world, and one was just, uh, you know, up the street. Um, Nineveh, as I mentioned, it was a pagan city. It was a center of pagan worship. It was a center of just all things not God. That was happening in Nineveh. Now, Tarshish, on the other hand, you might think, okay, he was just getting away, you know, uh, going to the Bahamas, going somewhere nice, nice beaches out there. No, no. Um, that might have been on his mind, but more so, this was a settlement of the clan of Benjamin. Um, a lot of uh, uh, God's people, one of the clans, the tribes of, of uh, Israel, had settled out that way. So in fact, J uh, Jonah going to Nineveh was actually going to a place where it was familiar. 
there were his kinfolk. If you uh, were Texan, you'd uh, say there were uh, kin out there. And so, in fact, he was running from God, but running to what he knew to be a safe place and a safe environment. This is where he was going. This is what he was doing. Read on in verse 4. It says, But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep in the hold. So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this, he shouted. Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. So this is like nine alarm fire going off in the middle of the ocean or in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. The winds and the storm uh, come up. This ship is getting tossed back and forth. The sailors and all these, uh, you know, hardened sea uh, people, you know, who are these sailors who are used to uh, this, they're, they're scared for their life and they think they're going to die. And here is Jonah in the bottom of the boat fast asleep. Um, a side note here, and uh, you could maybe say this is a sermon within a sermon, but oftentimes I get asked the question, Pastor, how do I know what God's will is for my life? How do I know where he's calling me to go, what he's talking to me about, where he's, he's sending me, what he wants me to do? A logical question. Uh, you know, I won't ask for a show of hands, but I'm sure if I did, each and every one of us has, have asked that question. How do I know what God's will for my life is? What am I supposed to do today? What am I supposed to be about while I'm here on planet earth during the span of years that's called my life? Well, without being um, insensitive, uh, let me just simply say it's not that difficult. It's not that difficult. And you're saying, Pastor, you don't know my life. Well, no, let me just back up and say, if you slow down just and you tune in to God enough, if you know the heartbeat of the one who created you and placed you here in the first place, chances are you're going to have a good idea, maybe not down to the, the finest details, all of the little tiny sub notes and the footnotes and the end notes and all those things. But you're going to have a pretty good idea what you need to be doing and what He wants for your life. You have a God whose character is not to hide. You, you, when you look right at the, the character of who God is and what He is like, God is a God who is constantly showing Himself and revealing Himself and, and making His his purpose is known in the world. Paul in the New Testament goes so much so to say that even those who don't know Christ, those who are far from God, they have no excuse because God is a God who reveals Himself even in the nature around us. God is a God of revelation. God is a God who is always speaking. God is a God who is always showing Himself. God is a God who is always nudging, always, always providing some correction, always just whispering in our ear, if, 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 capital I, capital F, underlined, circled, highlighted with a sharpie, if we would listen and tune in. And so it, it, it's not that difficult. Now please don't, hear me saying it's super easy and we get it right all the time. 
But it's not that difficult to know the will of God for your life. A couple of side notes. One, not all opposition is of God. Okay? At the same time, not all clear sailing and smooth sailing is of God. Remember, I was saying this a, a number of months ago. I said, not all of the blessings we have in our lives is because we're doing great things. Not all, all of the struggles we have in our lives are because we're doing rotten things. And yet so often we tend to migrate to these areas of smooth sailing because we feel like the smooth sailing areas are the only places that are of God and the ones where there's rough weather ahead and the difficulty, we feel like, how could that possibly be of God? But maybe, just maybe, like Jonah, God is leading and calling you into a difficult setting in a difficult situation. I was telling someone after the first service, here was Jonah trying to escape one storm in Nineveh and ended up in a far worse storm in the middle of the Mediterranean. So when it comes to the will of God... We're called to be aware, we're called to listen, we're called to uh, assess and, and discern. And truly know that in the will of God there is peace, there is calm, there is, there is, is, is resolve in our lives. And we can be in a storm and still experience that. Peter calls it comfort in the midst of affliction. Parakletos on Thlipse in the Greek. He talks about peace in the midst of a storm. So what's on the outside doesn't indicate whether or not we are in the will of God or not. It's what's on the inside and how in tune we are to our Father in heaven. Tuning in to Him. If we're not in the will of God, there's fear and lies and confusion and worry and compromise and doubt. All of those things are swirling not just on the outside, but deep on the inside too. And so we continue to ask the question, what is God's will for our lives? And we ask as if we don't know. And as if we can't know. How many of you have sat back without even thinking, if you just asked that question, I wonder what God's will is for my life. And, and we ask that question as if we can't know. And yet I'm here to tell us, you, you can, we can, I can. Most times, though, we question because I'm speaking for myself and I believe on behalf of all of us, we question because we don't like the first answer we get. God, what's, what's your plan and what's your will for, for my life? Well, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. Is there somebody else up there I can talk to? You know, I... I I really don't think that's your will, God. I really, you know, I've, I've analyzed the data. I've, I've, you know, I've tried to figure it out, you know, what drugs you're on when you're thinking about that. But, you know, this cannot be your will for my life. Isn't it true? We get questioning God. Why? Because it, it, it looks like a storm on the horizon. It looks like, uh, how could this possibly be a good thing? And we, we, we start second-guessing and doubting, and, and we don't like what we're hearing, and so we, we go looking for plan B. 
Or we go manufacturing plan B. We find another counselor. We find another friend. We find another mentor in our lives. We find another church. Or God forbid, we find another pastor. Someone who is going to say something that, that we want to hear. If we just listen, we would know and we would understand and we'd hear God's will. You know, we shy away from storms. And as I was, as I was just kind of chewing on Jonah's life, I really believe the Lord just brought something to mind. And he said, you know, Jonah wasn't the only one in Scripture in a boat, in a storm, sleeping. I was like, you're right. You're right. Have you ever thought about that? We have an account of another person in a boat, in a storm, sleeping. So, does that mean that Jesus, in a storm, in a boat, sleeping, was outside of God's will because there was a storm raging around him like it was in the book of Jonah? Does it? Jonah was heading in the wrong direction. He was outside of God's will. A storm arises. He's outside of God's will. We have an account of Jesus in a boat, in a storm, in the middle of a sea, much smaller sea, but it was still something that everyone was terrified for their lives and asked the exact same question. How can you be sleeping at a time like this? So does the storm indicate the wrong direction? Does the storm indicate the wrong placement? Does the storm indicate God putting up the, the brick wall and saying, you are outside of my will? No. The storm outside doesn't indicate that. The storm inside the person's heart indicates that. What was going on? You see, when they woke Jesus up, he said, peace be still. When Jesus was sleeping, the reason why Jesus was sleeping, one person has said this, I've quoted this many times, there are no storms in the kingdom of God. And where the kingdom of God is, there are no storms. And see, in that place, Jesus was fully in the will of the Father. It didn't matter what was raging on the outside. See, the, the storm that you are in is not an indication of God's blessing or His disappointment with you. It's situational. But knowing the will of the Father indicates whether there's a storm on the inside or not. Two exact similar settings. One was in the will of the Father, the other was not. Even though the storm was raging on the outside. I told you, a sermon within a sermon. So what do they do? They throw Jonah overboard. And you know the story, he ends up in the belly of a fish or a whale or a sea serpent or a leviathan, you know, however you want to interpret it. He ends up there, spit out on, the, on a beach, has a come to, to Jesus moment in the middle of this uh, predicament and he's spat up on the beach. And then chapter 3, the Lord speaks to him and says, you know what, taps him on the shoulder again. He says, I want you to go to Nineveh. And Jonah's saying, I think I got the message. I think I got the message. He wasn't going to Joppa this time. Instead, you'd like to think that he went with a smile on his face and energized and exuberant, but we find out that there's still some reluctance, still some questions. 
But he goes, and he goes to this pagan city, and he approaches the people there. He approaches the king, and he's got this, this sign that says, turn or burn. You know? His, his message is, 40 more days, and Nineveh is going to be destroyed. Turn to the Lord, or fire is going to rain down from heaven and just eliminate you off of the face of the earth. You're going to be smoldering ashes in 40 days. And, and secretly, he's got this silly smirk on his face. Much like my two older brothers. I'm still in therapy from being the youngest of three boys. But there's this, this, this look on their face when I would do something wrong, I would get caught, and my mom's words were, just wait till your dad comes home. For the rest of the day, my two older brothers had this silly grin on their face going, 40 more days and Darren's going to be destroyed. You know, 40 more minutes and Darren's going to be destroyed. And they're just waiting and rubbing their, their, their hands together, waiting for me to get mine at the end of the day. Well, this is kind of how Jonah is. He's sitting there going, you know, turn or burn. You know, turn to the Lord. And yet he's secretly, well, maybe not so secretly, he's hoping and truly believing that they're not going to. But what do we read happens? He goes to the king, turn or burn, turn to the Lord, 40 more days and you'll be destroyed. He goes to the people, 40 more days and you'll be destroyed. And what do they do? They go, okay. Sounds good to us. Yeah, yes. God's the one true God. And they, not, they don't just verbalize it. They show it. It says they... they tear off their, their clothes, the king puts off his, his kingly robes and he puts on sackcloth and ashes, which is an is, is a outward sign of inward grieving and their hearts are broken and they repent and, and the king goes out, sits on an ash heap and he covers himself with ashes and, and he's truly repenting of his sins and the city's sins and Jonah's sitting there going, ah, uh, that wasn't expected. Um, you weren't supposed to do that. And it wasn't just the king. It was every single person in that city turns to the Lord and Jonah's sitting there just going, okay, what, what, just, what just happened? What just happened? And he's just shocked. Isn't it amazing how so some, many times we underestimate God? Like we, we presume what God can do or will do or is capable of doing. I remember a youth pastor of mine said one time, got up and I'll never forget this. He says, if you can't think of, of the one person, the baddest of the baddest mean no good guys in your school turning their hearts to the Lord, then you've, uh, you've limited God and underestimated what God is capable of doing. We talked about this in our men's group a few weeks back. The, you know, the fact that God loves the worst of sinners who has yet to turn their heart to the Lord. Christ died for that person. God is able, capable, willing, wanting, fully capable of turning that person and redeeming them and saving them. And here's Jonah presuming that this city is way too big and way too evil for God to do anything. And yet in verse 10 of chapter 3, Jonah 3.10, it says, When God saw that they had done, uh, what they had done and how they had put 
a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out destruction. He had threatened. Now, there's some people who, you know, yes, I understand. God's the same yesterday, today, forever. This is one of those kind of things where God changed his mind. How many of you believe that God can do what God wants to do? And if God wants to change his mind, he is fully capable of changing his mind. Hear me, without changing his essence and changing his character and changing who he is. Is God the same yesterday, today, forever? Yes. Can he change his mind within the constraints of his sameness? Yes. You, know, you go into the New Testament, you go into the way of Jesus' healings while he was on earth here, and even he had the authority over the healing process. God can change his mind without changing his character. And here God relents his plan. What he intended was to punish sin. But yet here in repentance there's a change and there's a turnaround and he changes his mind. I love Paul in 1 Corinthians he says, who can know the mind of the Lord or the thoughts of the Lord? His ways are higher than ours. There's no way we can wrap our mind around him. To, to wrap our mind around everything that God is and what he thinks about is to lower him to our level and eliminate the need for a God. Because we all become gods ourselves if we know everything he knows. So here, there's a change. And Jonah doesn't like it too much. He, uh, for lack of better uh, explanation, he blows a gasket. He goes on this tirade. He, he throws the, the baddest temper tantrum you've ever seen. Think of the last time Walmart, someone with a two-year-old, and the two-year-old has hopped out of the cart, rolling around on the floor because he can't have the candy that's on the shelf. It's that kind of temper tantrum that's going on. He's red in the face. He's beating his fist. He's, you know, he's doing whatever. He is having a meltdown. He's kicking dirt. and uh, um, So anyways, he climbs a hill, and he sits down, and he has a moment. He ha well, it's a big moment. He's mad. Look at uh, Jonah chapter 4, verse 2. So there he is. He sat down. And it says uh, in, in Jonah 4.2, he says, So he complained. So Jonah complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say, didn't I say, God, before I left home, that you would do this? Didn't I? Come on, God, we, we talked about this already. You ever bowed up before the Lord? kind of had this heart to heart and told him what you thought. He goes on, he says, that, that's exactly why I did what I did and I ran away to Tarshish. If you really want to know, God, why I did what I did, it's because you're this kind of God that, that does stuff like this. You can laugh at it now, but we all do it, don't we? I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God. He's angry that God is merciful and compassionate. Slow to anger and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. <laughs> Just kill me now, he says. <laughs> Good one, Jonah. <laughs> I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. 
Ever done that? Ever got mad at God? Waved the fit. How does God react? Does God kind of get shocked at your anger? He's going to go, whoa, whoa, whoa. No. Jonah goes out, sits on a hill, and it's blazing hot, blazing hot. And um, he's waiting for God to kind of get to this point where, <laughs> you, ever, you ever feel this? <clears throat> waiting for God to go, you know, you know, Darren, you got a point there. You know, I, I really think, yeah, yeah I, think you got, yeah, I think you're right in this situation. I think I ought to rain down fire from heaven and kill all these people. You know, this, is what, this is what Jonah's waiting for. Jonah is waiting for God to have the light go on. That God is somehow missing something. So he's up on this hill overlooking Nineveh that God has already said, hey, I'm not going to blow them away. And Jonah's sitting there going, well, you'll get it. You'll understand how wicked they are, and, and you'll rain down fire from heaven. So he's still waiting. And it, as he's waiting, it was like we went to the UNT football game, and we got the cheap seats in the sun, and we're just sitting there sweating like crazy. And, and I was thinking, it would have been nice for God to grow a weed, you know, up at this, the, you know, this. Well, here, for Jonah, he grows this weed that, that grows up and has shade for him. I would have loved some shade last night up in the stand. And... And Jonah kind of goes, well, now, God, you're starting to get it. You're starting to see my point of view. Yes, you know, yes, God, come on, bring it on, bring it on. And so he's starting to get even more hope that God is going to rain down fire from heaven. But then it says, it says that God brings his worm along. And the worm bites the, you know, eats the bottom of the, the stalk of this, 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 uh, this covering that he has now, this weed that's grown up. And what does the weed do? It dries up, shrivels up, falls dead on the ground. And Jonah, man, he goes from like 10 angry to 100 angry and blows another gas. He's like, God, how could you do this? In verse 2, so he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this? That is why, sorry, uh, next verse, uh, verse 10. Then the Lord said to him, you feel sorry about the plant. Though you did nothing to put it there, it came up quickly and died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? And what he's saying is, Jonah, you're upset about this plant that I made grow to cause you shade, and you're upset that it's dead now, and yet your heart doesn't go out to 120 people that, that you want me to kill? Like, what's wrong with this? What's wrong with this equation? You know, it really does speak to the heart of God. It speaks to the heart of God of, of, of where He's at and where we are at. We get so focused on what we want and what our needs are and what we should do. And the fact that, that back to the whole idea of our lives should be full of just smooth sailing. And, and for some reason that, that, that God should be like blessed and pleased to have us on His team and therefore our lives should be... you know smooth without opposition 
Well, can I, can I just share something? And, and once again, don't take, well, I was going to say don't take this personally, but please do take this personally. It's not all about you. It's not all about you. You know, it's so easy to go through life. It's so easy to do this thing we call church. It's so easy to do this thing we call relationship with God. And it's all about me. It's all about my needs. It's all about what I do. It's all about my thing. It's all about my worship. It's all about my intent. It's all about my plans that I have, right? Can I just tell you, it's not all about you. But in the same manner, can I put it in this way? It is all about you. But there's no period at the end of this one. It is all about you and it's about every other single person on this planet made in the image of God who he loves dearly and has a plan to see them come back into relationship with him. So it is about you, but it's about you, and it's about you, and it's about the person uh, working the gas station down the street, and the person who's working on the, on the uh, oil field down, uh, down in the next county, and the person down in, in, in Fort Worth, and the person in Dallas, and the person in, in uh, um, San Antonio, and the person in the next state over, and the person in... The, it is about each and every single person, so it's not about you period. It's about you and you and you and you and you. And what is the heart of God in all of this? So you see where I'm going with this, that, that yes, this is a, a message on a prophet. This is wrapping up one series, but it's, it's a, an, a springboard again into what is it that God has called us here for in these days and weeks and months and minutes and hours that we have to live and breathe and serve the purposes of God. Will you run or will you respond? Will you allow God to dictate the playbook of your life? Or will you go looking for plan B and answer B or something that tickles your ear or something that looks less intimidating, looks like smoother sailing, but in fact will lead to a greater storm, maybe not on the outside, but on the inside. I'm inviting us to bow our heads, close our eyes. Worship team, why don't you join me up here? And I know we've gone just a little bit over time this morning, but I really believe that the Lord just wants to speak to us again and remind each and every one of us how much He loves us. And yes, it is about you. It's about His great love for you. It says that God loves you so much that He gave His one and only Son. But it goes beyond just you. It goes beyond just me. He goes on to say, whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Whoever so, Lord, I pray our eyes and our ears and our hearts would be tuned into you. Lord, you're a God who is constantly revealing your heart to us. And, Lord, I pray we would slow down just enough to hear and to know and to understand and to respond rather than run. 
Because in that, there is great peace, even in the midst of affliction, even in the midst of chaos and storms. The kingdom of heaven, your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth in our lives as it is in heaven. And with that, Lord, we get to share that with those around us. The God fragrance, the pleasing aroma that is so life-changing that Jesus saves. The message of the gospel. So use us. Let us hear from you. Lord, I pray that those who are running in an opposite direction this morning, today you'd tap them on the shoulder. I pray it wouldn't take quite a traumatic experience as, as Jonah did. Lord, I pray that right now you tap us on the shoulder and you draw us back to you, back into your plan and your purpose, that we'd know and understand your heart. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.